I'm sports attorney Luke Fedlam, and welcome to the Protecting Your Possibilities podcast. Each conversation, we focus on sharing information and having conversations around how athletes can best educate and protect themselves for their life outside of their sports. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Protecting Your Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Luke Fedlam, and I have got to say we are now a week into the new name, image, and likeness era of college sports. And as I think back over this past week, you know, granted, it is very early in this new NIL era. But as I look back over this past week, there are two things that have really been highlighted to me that I think are interesting to note. First is college sports are still in one piece, right? I mean, I think there are a lot of people who were talking about name, image, and likeness two years ago and beyond, a year ago. All right, six months ago, and saying what a catastrophic effect name, image, and likeness could have in college sports. And granted, you know, we're still in the summer, so you know, we'll see, and it's very early in all of this, so we'll see how things play out over time. But college sports are still intact. And I think that that's important to understand. And and again, one of the reasons why I think that this is important to note is because oftentimes people who don't spend a lot of time studying or understanding what name, image, and likeness is automatically think that it's pay for play, which is different. They think that it is schools paying student athletes, but it's really not. It's just the opportunity and the right for student athletes to contract with a third party outside of their school to earn money by licensing their name, image, and likeness. And furthermore, for student athletes to have the right to be able to start a business to sell a product or provide a service or to you know, have camps and clinics that they're involved with that they are able to actually leverage the fact that they're a student athlete and earn money off of doing those things. It's not about being paid by the school and I think that that's important because I don't think that we'll see this implosion of college sports based on student athletes having the right to earn a fair compensation for the use of their name, image, and likeness. The other thing that I think really has not surprised me, but has really come to my attention is this idea and the reality, really, that a lot of people don't fully understand name, image, and likeness. And there are a host of reasons for that. And when I say a lot of people, different stakeholder groups. So when you think about student athletes are still trying to figure it out, they know they want to make money, but they're trying to figure out what does it mean for them? How do they engage? How do they stay protected? How do they maximize potential earnings? You've got schools themselves who were kind of forced into rushing a policy around name, image, and likeness when the NCAA, their Division I council, voted and, and recommended to their board of directors that the schools themselves make up the policy then schools had to come up with their own name, image, and likeness policy for how student-athletes at their own institutions would be able to be compensated based on name, image, and likeness, and just what the processes and the procedures would be at each individual institution, what the guardrails or limitations might be. And so schools are still trying to figure out what does this look like and how do they manage it from an ongoing perspective. And just as a reminder to the audience, the NCAA with their guidance, basically told schools and individual institutions that if they are located in a state that has 
state legislation that has been passed into law regarding name, image, and likeness, then their school policy has to follow the guidance and the guidelines of the state law. If they happen to be at an institution within a state where name, image, and likeness legislation has not passed into law, then the school has the complete discretion to be able to come up with their policy around name, image, and likeness. And so schools really have been trying to figure this out on the fly. And so we've seen policies come out. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for conversations that I'm having with student athletes and with parents and others, which is you've got to understand what's required, what's allowed and authorized, and what's restricted based on your individual school's policy. You've got to know your school's policy on name, image, and likeness. And that's really interesting, right? Because at first, you know, we thought that there was going to be comprehensive. And when I say at first, I'm talking about early 2021, back in January, when the Division I Council was supposed to vote on the name, image, and likeness recommended rules and internal legislation created by the NCAA Working Group. And I think at first we all thought there was going to be this national standard held by the NCAA regarding name, image, and likeness. And obviously we know that that didn't happen. And so then we started seeing more and more states rushing to get legislation in place. So then we thought, okay, we very well may see this kind of patchwork quilt of state legislation across the country. And so multiple states with different laws on name, image, and likeness. But what we actually see now are individual institutions, individual schools with their own rules around what name, image, and likeness will look like for their student athletes. And each school, each institution is unique in what their rules are, what their policies are, what their processes are for name, image, and likeness. And this is, this is really interesting because that's where people are all trying to figure out, well, what does this mean for me? I've had quite a few conversations over the past week with parents of athletes at all levels, parents of elite of the elite athletes, as well as parents of student athletes that aren't necessarily as elite in their performance of their sport, but yet have a following or have something that is drawing them to engage in name, image, and likeness for various reasons. And common in all of these conversations with parents is the fact that they're trying to figure this out as well. And so when you think about this from an education perspective, and, and anyone who's listened to this podcast knows how deeply I care about education, especially real-world practical education, you understand that the frustration, I think, of a lot of parents is that they may know about the policy that their son or daughter's institution has regarding name, image, and likeness, but don't necessarily understand how do we navigate name, image, and likeness. How do we protect our sons or daughters when it comes to people who want to work with them, whether they be companies, whether they be professional service providers, right? And so a lot of the conversation has been this education around just navigating a name, image, and likeness environment. So you've got that piece. Now, I will take a step back to say this current situation of multiple institutions, right? Institutions having their own policy around name, image, and likeness. We're going to continue to see that, but I think what we'll see probably by the end of the year is federal legislation around name, image, and likeness. 
because we haven't really gotten too far into how individual institutions will be focusing on the oversight of name, image, and likeness. They've rushed to put out their rules and policies because they needed to meet the deadline of July 1st. So there are policies that exist out there and there are procedures for how student athletes should engage in name, image, and likeness. So if you're going to do a deal, you need to have that deal, the terms, either if they're verbal or if it's written, you have to provide that to the institution. So either through compliance or maybe through a platform that they're using, they'll set forth what the policy is. But when you think about it from a holistic perspective, the oversight of determining some of those main considerations that were talked about earlier this year around identifying fair market value or ensuring that student athletes aren't being taken advantage of on transactions and things along those lines, right? There's no kind of unified or centralized oversight of name, image, and likeness. This is all done at the institutional level. So I think we're going to see federal legislation that will set forth guidelines by which all student athletes across the country will follow the same guidelines and then ultimately some oversight organization will be created or in the cases of some federal proposed legislation that we've seen, you know, an organization that already exists like the Federal Trade Commission or or similar association or, or institution will be tasked with overseeing name, image, and likeness um, at the college level. So I think, you know, kind of thinking about this past week, those are two real significant observations that I've had that people are still trying to figure out really what name, image, and likeness means. But what I think we have all gotten some comfort with is that this should not be something that brings down the institution of college sports. The other thing that I want to just maybe share just a few minutes on are some thoughts and some some tips. I've shared tips over the past few weeks leading up to name, image, and likeness, kind of with the launch of name, image, and likeness. But I've had so many conversations and some of the same things that I talk about continue to remain true that I, I still have conversations with student athletes directly, with parents of student athletes to help them understand how best to navigate this name, image, and likeness space. And I, again, for listeners who maybe are listening to me for the first time on this podcast or, or just as a refresher to others who, who listen you know, regularly, if you think about name, image, and likeness at a school level, at an institutional level, or just even just kind of broadly, there really are three main components or three areas of name, image, and likeness, if you will. One is the branding, the commercialization, and monetization, right? That is the how do I get more followers? How do I get paid? How do I have financial opportunities to leverage my name, image, and likeness? How do I make money? That is one area. And, and as you can most surely imagine, for student athletes, that's probably one of their most important areas of name, image, and likeness. But that's, that's one piece. The second piece of this pie, if you will, is kind of the compliance and oversight, the monitoring, the engagement, right, of name, image, and likeness. And that is much more on the school to set forth the policies and on the student athletes to understand and comply with those policies, right? So so that's the compliance aspect, the, the process, the procedure, the how do we actually engage in name, image, and likeness and make sure that we're not running afoul of the school's policies on name, image, and likeness. So that's that second piece, that compliance and that monitoring side of things. The third piece is education. And this is obviously where I spend a lot of time where I care deeply about the education piece because having just compliance and a, a procedure for managing and overseeing name, image, and likeness 
and then being able to have whatever a platform or a plan for being able to monetize name, image, and likeness opportunities, that's just not a complete equation. That's only part of the equation. Education has to be included so a student athlete understands things like taxes, being paid in gross, being an independent contractor, managing you know money from a business side of things, understanding contracts and what they're signing, understanding the long-term implications uh, of the license that they might be giving up as it relates to their name, image, and likeness or other intellectual property, understanding the impact of signing long-term agreements and, and the like. So this education, this real-world practical education that I talk about frequently, and if you've listened before, you know I've said it multiple times, I believe it's an ethical imperative that student-athletes are educated with real-world practical education to prepare them to be able to navigate the realities of name, image, and likeness. And <laughs> If you couldn't tell, I still believe that, right? I mean, it's so critically important. And and so the education piece is, is really important here when it comes to name, image, and likeness. And just a few tips to think about, right? And this is whether you're talking to someone who is an elite, elite athlete who maybe has a chance to play professionally at the next level in their sport, but also for the athlete who just happens to have a significant following or just wants to get involved in name, image, and likeness in different ways. So these are tips that I think are important at all levels. And one of them is, and I just said it a few minutes ago, which is you really want to make sure that student athletes aren't locking themselves into long-term contracts. It's just not needed, especially for those athletes who might be able to transition and play professionally the next year. You really don't want to be in a long-term contract because you want the freedom and flexibility to be able to almost be that marketing free agent, if you will, once you then declare for whatever your sports draft is. All right, so not locking yourself into long-term contracts. But at the same time, if you happen to be a student athlete that has a following and your following is based on what it is that you do as opposed to necessarily just your athletic ability, let's say you're a gamer and you have a big significant following on Twitch and you're you know making money through there, Again, you don't want to necessarily lock yourself into a long-term agreement if you know that because of name, image, and likeness, you're just now getting started and you have the ability to continue to increase your following and become more valuable to a brand sponsor or a platform or what have you. So understanding that dynamic is important. It's also important to really understand the money side of all of this, right? Understanding how and when you're getting paid, understanding you know what form that payment is coming in understanding the taxes, you know, involved here, understanding, you know, I've had this conversation too, that if you're getting paid in merchandise, depending on your other earnings, you may still as well be taxed on that merchandise as well as comp as, as it is compensation. So understanding the importance of that learning and that education around the money side of things is, is really important. And, and the last thing I'll say, and I've said it before, but I, I, it bears repeating, which is you just don't want to sign anything at all until you understand what it is that you're signing. Just don't sign anything until you understand. And whatever you need to do to understand that contract, you've got to do it. Whether that's potentially, depending on the value of the contract, hiring a lawyer to help review it and provide independent, objective, unbiased analysis of that contract. Whether that's working with your family to help understand and go through each section and, and, and work through it with your family potentially or work through it with, with someone else that you trust that has knowledge in this space, you've got to understand before you sign because there can be things in contracts that have long-lasting impact that you don't truly understand if all you care about is what do I get paid and what do I have to do. 
right? And, and again, I've said this, right? But these are two comments that many people who sign endorsement deals or marketing deals or things like that to where they leverage their celebrity, they care most about what do I have to do and what do I get paid, right? Well, there's so much more that are in these contracts and you've got to make sure that you understand before you sign because you want to know if there are things in there that you might be giving up that you don't want to give up in the long term. So again, just my quick analysis over the last you know, week of name, image, and likeness, there will obviously be much more to come, but I think it's important to just kind of highlight what we've seen over this last week. And you know, again, I'm excited to continue to share this education. If there are specific topics, whether it's within name, image, and likeness or beyond in the legal space, please do feel free to continue to send me your comments, your questions, your thoughts and ideas for other topics. Uh, reach out to me. Feel free to uh, rate this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a rating. Feel free to share any comments and share this with others as well. I really, truly thank you for all of your support of this podcast over the this past year. Um, we're going to do an exciting episode for next week, which will mark our one-year anniversary. But I truly am thankful for your support uh, and thank you for listening. Have a great day and we'll talk again soon. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. The content of this publication is not intended as legal advice for any purpose and you should not consider it as such. It does not necessarily reflect the views of the firm as to any particular matter or those of its clients. Please consult an attorney for specific advice regarding your particular situation.